Once more, good morning and welcome everyone, all of you joining us by video. God bless you. We love you so much. Be a part of what God is going to say now in his word. Open your Bibles to 1 Peter chapter 2. If you don't have a Bible with you, look in the pew rack in front of you. There will be a Bible right there. It's the same version I'm reading, the New Living Translation. Nothing magical about it. I feel like it's a clear version, and it seems to work well for public reading. That's why I choose it. Uh, You can follow along. If you can't afford a Bible, don't have a Bible, you can take the one uh, home with you that's in the rack in front of you. I want you to have a copy of God's Word. It's a real practical sermon this morning, I pray. Um, nothing profound here. It doesn't take a smart guy to come up with this stuff. It's in the Bible. Uh, however, uh, if you were to listen to this word today, I, I really do think for some of you it would be absolutely life-changing. I, I'm not exaggerating. I'm not over-promising. I, I really think this particular place is where a lot of us, a lot of you, are very, very hung up. I, I think this is the key to your unhappiness, your depression even. I think this right here, what we're going to talk about today, is truly the place where many of us really need to hear and submit to what God's Word says. Sermon title is Different Drum. I'm coming off of an old quote. You've probably heard the language, someone marches to the beat of a different drummer. You ever heard that before? It comes from a, a quote by Henry David Thoreau who says, if a man does not keep pace with his contemporaries, perhaps he hears a different drummer. That's what Thoreau said. What's he talking about? What does that mean? Uh, I'm, a, I'm a former band geek. In high school, I was, I was in the marching band. I played French horn, which probably makes me a giant dork, uh, but, but that's okay. Uh, it's okay. I remember marching as being a lot of fun, and I really love the marching part. I love parades, and of course, the drummers were always key to that. The drummers would, would, would march out the cadence or, or the walk beat for us, and we could walk forever, and we could stay in step with one another by simply following the drum. And that's what Thoreau is getting at in this quote. If someone is out of step with his contemporaries, he must be marching to the beat of a different drummer. And that's what he's saying, that, that honestly, in, in the world, some of us are not in step with everybody else. Some of us stick out. Some of us are are different. Now, Thoreau wasn't saying that from a Christian perspective, but I'm a Christian, and I want to say it from a Christian perspective. We as Christians are not supposed to be in step with the world. We are not supposed to keep pace with the world that is marching its way into condemnation. That's not what we do. That's not what we're about. We're not supposed to look like everybody else. We're not supposed to be in step with everyone else. We're different. There's a difference that Christ makes, and at this point right here, at this point in Scripture, this is where I think we should begin to see Christians acting most different of all, and it comes down to how we respond when people mistreat us. How do you respond when people mistreat you? This should be one of the things that truly sets us apart from the world. Let's look at what the Bible says. 1 Peter chapter 2, I'm going to start with verse 15. Verse 15 is kind of the leading sentence. It's the big sentence, and everything that follows it sort of explains verse 15. So let's start there. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 15. You might underline this verse. It's a good one. It is God's will that your honorable lives should silence those ignorant people who make foolish accusations against you. For you are free, yet you are God's slaves. So don't use your freedom as an excuse to do evil. Respect everyone and love your Christian brothers and sisters. Fear God and respect the king. I could say respect the president, but some of you wouldn't like it. 
Respect the president. It's what the Bible says. Respect the president. You don't have to appreciate all of his policies. You must respect the office. Respect the king. Respect the president. It's what the Bible says. Some of you are already sunk. Verse 18. You who are slaves must accept the authority of your masters with all respect. Do what they tell you, not only if they are kind and reasonable, but even if they are cruel. Notice where this goes now. For God is pleased with you when you do what you know is right and patiently endure unfair treatment. Of course, you get no credit for being patient if you're beaten for doing wrong. But if you suffer for doing good and endure it patiently, God is pleased with you. Huge verses, huge verses. For God called you to do good, even if it means suffering, just as Christ suffered for you. He is your, say the word, example. He is your example, and you must follow in his steps. He never sinned nor deceived anyone. He did not retaliate when he was insulted nor threaten revenge when he suffered. He left his case in the hands of God who always judges fairly. He personally carried our sins in his body on the cross so that we can be dead to sin and live for what is right. By his wounds you are healed. Once you were like sheep who wandered away, but now you have turned to your shepherd, the guardian of your souls. Take your seat. Mom was washing dishes. She heard a scream coming from her son's bedroom. Her son was seven years old. He had a two-year-old sister. When mom got in the room, the little boy, the seven-year-old, was just screaming. His sister, two-year-old girl, had both hands in his, in his hair, and she was pulling his hair, and she wouldn't let go. You ever had a two-year-old sister? Just pulling his hair. She would not let go. He was screaming. So mom had to come over. She was going, no, no, and she was trying to pry the little two-year-old's fingers out of her brother's hair. He was screaming the whole time. He was screaming. Mom was screaming. Everybody's screaming. Finally, finally, she gets the hands loose from the little boy's hair. There's a big bird's nest on top. The little girl was pulling his hair. said, Mama, you've got to do something about her. I can't stand her in my room. I can't stand her. Mom said, Son, you just got to be patient with your sister. She's little. She doesn't know. He said, I don't care if she's little. She can't come in and do that to me. He said, you got to understand, son, she's little. She really doesn't know how that hurts. Mom put her in her room, the little boy in his room, and she stepped out. And the minute she heard awful screaming, and this time the little girl, the two-year-old, is just screaming. She goes in, this time the little boy is coming out of her room with just look on his face. Mom said, what just happened? Little boy said, you said that she didn't know how bad it hurt. Now she knows. <laughs> you are going to be mistreated. Do you understand that? You just must accept it. You are going to be mistreated. In this world, I'm going to be mistreated. You're going to be mistreated. We're going to be lied on, mistreated, talked about. You know the whole song, been up, down, almost level to the ground. Yeah, we're talking about you and me. We are going to be scorned. We're going to be abused. It's life. It's just life. You're going to be mistreated. I guess the question comes back to us, what do we do when we're mistreated? Is it ever okay to try to get them back? Is it ever okay to retaliate? What do you think? 
You don't want to say nothing, do you? You don't want to say nothing because this gets hard. This is where the rubber really hits the road for those of us who want to live a life after Christ. Because the scripture makes it very, very plain that Christians do not retaliate. We do not try to get someone back. We don't try to pay back evil for evil. We don't do that. We never, ever do that. We just simply don't. You're going to be mistreated. When you are mistreated, you have a tremendous opportunity to follow the example of Christ. And I'm telling you, it's not so much an option. This is how Christians live. This is how you're supposed to live. Well, Brother Tim, well, what, if, what, if, what if I've been mistreated horribly? You don't understand what they've done to me. I'm still not sure you're the exception. Well, you don't understand. What if they ended up costing me a whole lot of money? I don't think you're the exception. Well, you can do anything you want to me, but just don't mess with my family. You ever heard that? Man, we're rednecks down here. That's how we say it. Just don't mess with my family. Now, Brother Tim, I can take it if they mistreat me, but I'm not going to let them mistreat my family. Not my family. If they mess with my family, they're going to have to mess with me. You know that man? Yeah. Some of you ladies are that man. Yeah. I, I know this church. Don't mess with my family. Kid on the bus said that my son was a dork. Tomorrow morning, I'm going to get up on that bus. I'll be on that bus. I'm going to pull that boy off that bus and say, don't you ever say that about my son. Take a deep breath, Jethro. Just take a deep breath. Do you understand? that you're going to be mistreated, and so will your family. And here is a tremendous opportunity for you to follow the example of Christ. And while we're at it, let's teach the little dork to be like Christ too. Do you understand? It's a tremendous opportunity to be a Christian. There is a difference when Christians are mistreated. We don't respond like everybody else. We're not like everybody else. Look at verse 19. New Living Translation says, For God is pleased with you when you do what you know is right and patiently endure unfair treatment. God is pleased with you when you do what you know is right and you patiently endure unfair treatment. That phrase there, for God is pleased, literally what the Greek says there is, this is a grace. This is a grace when you do what you know is right and patiently endure unfair treatment. This is a grace is what Peter actually says there. And I think that's interesting. It goes beyond simply saying God is pleased with you. That's certainly a part of it. It has to do with God's favor. But I really think what Peter is saying there is beyond simply that this is a good thing, God is pleased with this. When he says this is a grace, I think what he's really saying is this is less a commandment to obey. This is more a, a miracle to be experienced. This is a kind of, a, a, of grace, a gift to be received. Well, what I'm saying is you really don't have it in you to endure with patience unfair treatment. Neither do I. There's something about human nature. When I am treated unfairly, when somebody talks about me or, or, or mouths off to my face or says something about my family, when someone mistreats me, there's something in me. I, I get so angry, so frustrated, and so do you. I've been to business meetings with you people. I know. It, it's just human nature, and God knows it's human nature. We want to hit back. We want to mouth off. We want to give them what they've got coming to them. There's something human about that. 
I'm not sure that you and I have it in us to do anything else other than seek revenge, other than to try to somehow get even. And that's why I think the Bible says this is a grace. This is a kind of gift. This is a miracle to be experienced. And that's why it's really something that should set us apart from the world. We have Christ, the Spirit of Christ, the power of Christ animating our lives. We're different. We're different. And when we begin to respond to mistreatment, when we begin to respond to the way people treat us, when we begin to live as Jesus lived in the world, I'm telling you, we're going to be different. You're going to be different from everybody else at your school. You're going to be different from everybody else in your family. And I don't know your family, but I know my family. And we'd be different from everybody in our family, wouldn't we? It's just not how the world works, but it's how the kingdom of God works. This is less a commandment to be obeyed, although it is that. It's a commandment to be obeyed. You are sinning. When you do not live this way. Do you understand that? But it is a gift to be received. It's a miracle to be experienced. This is something that, that you can only achieve by the very power of God. By his grace working in your life. This is a grace, Peter says. So understand, this is not going to come naturally for you. This is going to be something that you're going to have to practice every single day. Every single time somebody crosses you or looks at you the wrong way, this is something you're really going to have to work at. It's a miracle you're going to have to struggle to experience every single day. But it is the ordinary way of Christians being in the world. We do not retaliate. We do not seek revenge. We don't try to get even. We don't mouth off. We patiently endure unfair treatment. Now look down at verse 21. I love this verse. Peter literally says, for God calls you to this. This is what you're called to do. This is just what we do. Even if it means suffering just as Christ suffered for you. He is your, say the word, Example, he is your example, and you must follow in his steps. Verse 21 has literally changed the world in a lot of ways when Christians have begun to take this verse seriously. Christ is your example. Example. How many of you are artists? Let me see your hands. You're an artist? How many of you can draw? You say you can draw really well. How many of you say, I'm not an artist, I can't draw, but I can trace? See your hand? Yeah. Everybody can trace. Under, understand, the word that Peter uses there, for example, the, the Greek word there literally means underwriting. Jesus is your underwriting. It, this has to do with tracing. In other words, with your life, you're not out there to make it up. You're not trying to, to live a life like nobody's ever seen before. Actually, you're trying to follow very, very closely a model. As a matter of fact, we would say that in your life, you're just supposed to lay your life upon the life of Christ and just trace what you see. Do you understand? That's what Peter means here. That's what he's saying when he says that Christ is your example. He's the underdrawing. He's the underwriting. You lay your life right on top of his, and then you just do what you see him doing. You live the way Jesus would live. Do you understand? You say the things that Jesus would say. With your life, you just lay it right on top of Christ, and then you just trace the lines. 
This is the way Christians live in the world. We have an example. We have a model. And you're supposed to follow him in every way. Follow in his steps. That's your life. That's your entire life. And especially when people mistreat you. Jesus is a supreme example of how to act when you're mistreated because Jesus was, of course, in all of the history of humanity, the only truly innocent sufferer. The only person you can actually say who never did anything wrong to anybody, never mistreated a single soul, never spoke ill, never spoke incorrectly. Jesus was the only person who never ever sinned, not against God and not against anybody else. So when they hung him on the cross, when they beat him and mocked him and spat upon him, do you understand? He's the only person in the world that we can say did not have that coming to him. He did not have that coming to him. He did nothing to deserve that. He himself is the only truly, completely innocent sufferer. When you and I suffer, honestly, we've at least got a little bit of it coming to us because we are sinners and we mistreat others. If I say something that hurts your feelings, understand you've probably already said something to hurt somebody's feelings this week also. And the same goes for me. If you hurt my feelings, my goodness, I've already hurt a lot of people's feelings. I'm telling you, we all have it coming to us, but Jesus never did. That's why he becomes the example. You follow him. If you want to know how to respond... When people do you wrong, you do what Jesus did. You follow his example. You, you trace the lines of his life. So what does that mean? Verse 22, he never sinned nor ever deceived anyone. He did not retaliate when he was insulted nor threaten revenge when he suffered. He left his case in the hands of God who always judges fairly. One of the problems with, with being a preacher, one of the problems anytime you're trying to tell people the truth is that people never listen well. And in a sermon like this, the wrong people are going to hear this and, and take it the wrong way. And the people who really, really need to hear this will never hear any of it. That's always the difficulty. And with a passage like this, with a message like this, there's a certain kind of person in this room who's going to hear this and, and take it all the wrong way. And they're going to think that they're being like Christ, and they're not. And I'm talking about the person who, when they're mistreated or, or when they suffer unjustly, talking about the person who just withdraws. Talking about a person who just feels that somehow, as a Christian, you're supposed to be a doormat. And you're supposed to just simply always allow people to run over you. And that is not what this scripture teaches. And that is not the example of Christ. So listen to me. When people offend you, when they mistreat you, the way of Christ is not simply to withdraw and act like nothing happened. The way of Christ is not just to continue in that relationship and stand there and let them hit you in the jaw every single day. That is not the way of Christ. That is not Christ. You are completely free to make sure that that person never mistreats you again. Do you understand that? You're completely free to remove yourself from a situation where you're being mistreated. As a matter of fact, the Bible has very, very clear procedures to follow when someone offends you, when someone mistreats you. The Bible has clear policies, clear strategies for confronting the person who mistreats you. 
So you understand? You are not supposed to simply withdraw. You're not supposed to just swallow it and act like that's supposed to be normal. You're not supposed to never, ever let the person know how they've hurt you. You're not supposed to never say the words, I'm angry at you. Do you understand? You really do have to deal with this stuff. You really do have to deal with it, and you do need to confront it. And I know that takes strength, and this is what I'm saying. That strength comes from Christ. Don't tell yourself that you're doing the will of God when people mistreat you and then you never say anything and you never do anything about it. The only thing you're doing there is setting yourself up for some real trouble. See, let's just say that, that you've mistreated me and I never say anything to you about it and it goes on. Let's say it goes on for years and years and years and you continue to mistreat me and I never do anything about it. Even though the Bible says exactly what to do when a brother or sister offends you, let's say I never do any of those things. I just continue to take it. I get angry at you, but I just stuff that anger down in the bottom of my heart. What happens to me? When I just continue to stuff all that emotion, all of that anger, all of that hurt, what happens when I just try to swallow it week after week, month after month, year after year? It becomes poison to me. It becomes poison to me. Do you understand? There's a classical definition of the word depression, and the word depression defined means anger turned inward. Anger turned inward. Fact of the matter is, a number of us battle depression. Some of you in this house, in the sound of my voice, you're battling depression. And the reason for your depression is all of the anger of your life, you've just turned inside toward yourself. You're just turning it in toward yourself. And you must not think that you're following Christ's example when you do that. You must not think for a moment that that is somehow godliness. You're not called to be a doormat. You're not called simply to deny, suppress, and ignore your feelings and emotions. You have to deal with them. And scripture gives very, very plain, very plain steps for dealing with these situations. You have to follow scripture. you got to deal with this stuff. Yes, you may have to confront Yes, you will have to forgive, but you've got to at least first admit that it's happening and be honest about your feelings and be honest about your anger, be honest about the way it hurts, and then deal with it like Christ would deal with it. Do you understand what I'm saying? Now let me stop for just a minute here because before we go too much further, there's probably something else I need to say here about your hurts and, and, and the, the, the different kinds of anger and hurt feelings that you carry with you. Honestly. Honestly, and I say this with all the love as your pastor, and, and I do love you. I really do, and I respect you. But for the most part, when, when I listen to you complain and I listen to how other people hurt you, the two words that come to mind are just grow up. I mean, just grow up. My goodness, there really are people in the world that hurt us. And there really are times when we're, when we're really going to be mistreated. But honestly, some of you just lay awake at night trying to imagine how you've been mistreated today. My goodness, I just want to say grow up. I'd say you're like the third grade Sunday school class, but that would be insulting the third grade Sunday school class. Just grow up. I know a lot of you as parents were just like us. My son would cry from the backyard, ah, mom, mom. Wade has a different kind of mother. She would say, are you bleeding? Are there bones sticking out? You're not hurt. Yeah, that's Wade's mama. 
You bleeding? Are there bones sticking out? Well, you're not hurt. Go play. Well, honestly, that's not a bad way to go. I mean, come on. Are you bleeding? Are there bones sticking out? Go on and play. I'm being very serious. Some of you hold grudges, baby. you got grudges that go way back. And if we went back now and asked you what you've been mad about for 30 years, you're mad because somebody took your Tupperware lid at the potluck. I'm not being funny. Nothing funny about it. Some of you are exactly like this. You're mad about the silliest stuff. Just grow up. You're not hurt. Nobody hurts you. It's Tupperware, baby. I'll buy you a bowl if it would let you get free and get over this. But the problem is it would never help you get free and get over it because some of us, we nurse this stuff. We need this stuff. We live off of this stuff. But not if we're going to follow the example of Christ. Not if we're going to follow the example of Christ. I would say 80% of the stuff that y'all are sitting here mad at other people about, you really ought to just let go right here. It doesn't even take a second step. You just need to get over it and forget about it. I'm not talking about denying your feelings. I'm just saying grow up. You haven't even been hurt. Nobody meant to hurt you. Nobody even knows that they think that you're hurt. You understand? You just need to get on with life. It's small stuff. Get over the small stuff because the scripture makes plain there's going to be big stuff. There are going to be moments when you really are mistreated. You don't just think you are. It's not just little stuff. Somebody's going to really hurt you one day. They're going to obliterate your heart one day. And that's going to be the test. How are you going to respond when somebody really mistreats you? If you imagine mistreatments every time you leave the house, I feel sorry for you. I honestly feel sorry for you. First off, I guess you got to recognize when you're actually hurt. Be wise. Be mature. But then when you've really been hurt, you're going to have to deal with it. It's not being a Christian just to ignore it, just to stuff it down. You've got to be honest. You've got to confront. You've got to follow the example of Christ. Don't ignore it. But don't retaliate either. Do not seek revenge. Don't look to get even. You are not going to hit them back. Do you understand? This is the way of Christ. I know that it would be so delicious to you to hit back. I know that it would be so good to get revenge. Let's stop. What is revenge? Let's define the word. What is revenge? Revenge is to hurt them just like they hurt you. Only revenge is never satisfied with just equal. You want to give it to them and then add some more to it. You, you want them to suffer for the way they made you suffer. That, that's revenge. And we don't do that. Christians don't do that. We don't do it in the small things. We don't do it in the large things. We do not seek revenge. We do not seek retaliation. Verse 23, Jesus did not retaliate when he was insulted, nor did he threaten revenge. Threaten revenge. Okay, now that's different. Revenge is one thing. And honestly, a lot of us, we don't like violent confrontation. We don't want to be in a fight. We've never been in a fight. We're not looking for a fight. But it's that threaten revenge, baby. We like that. The Greek word for that is trash talk. Trash talk. Now, we wouldn't do revenge, but we do trash talk. Now, what is trash talk? 
That's when I make Andrew mad. And Andrew says, listen here, buddy. He starts wagging his finger and shaking his head and saying, your mama's so big. That's what Andrew does. You see, it's threatening. It's mouthing off. And we don't necessarily seek revenge, but we love to mouth off. We're Southerners. We do this as a sport. We love to mouth off. We absolutely love to mouth and threaten and insult. Baby, you mistreat me. I'll lay awake all night long trying to figure out the perfect thing to say. And then the next day when you give me an opportunity, I'm going to lay it in there perfect. I am going to cut you down with words. And that's going to feel so good. Except for the basic truth that that would be sin for me. I don't seek revenge. I don't threaten revenge. I, I don't mouth off. I don't insult. I don't lie. I, I don't gossip. Did you understand? Jesus did not retaliate when he was insulted, nor threaten revenge when he suffered. He left his case in the hands of God who always judges fairly. That's the key, brothers and sisters, that's the key. You just leave it to God. I know that you love to keep score, and some of you have a running score, a running tally in your mind right now. You know every bad thing your wife's ever done against you. You keep up with every insult, you keep up with every slight, you keep a running score, and you expect that one of these days you'll even that score, don't you? And that's exactly how the devil wants you to live. But I've got news for you. You're not the scorekeeper. You're not the one who keeps score because you don't keep score fairly. You tend to add double every time somebody insults you, and then you tend to forget all the times you insult others. You're not keeping score fairly, and that's just part of it. We, we can't. We don't see enough. We think we see the whole picture, but we never see the whole picture. You don't get to keep score. Brother Tim, you don't understand how I've suffered. I promise you I don't understand. And you don't understand how I've suffered. None of us has walked in the other person's shoes. Brother Tim, you didn't grow up in the neighborhood I grew up. Of, of course I didn't, but you didn't grow up in Woodburn either. Do you understand? We all walk in a different place. We suffer in different ways. None of us see enough to be the ones to keep the score. You're not the scorekeeper. So very, very plainly the scripture says, why don't you let God who keeps score be responsible for evening the score? God, the only one who can see, the only one who can judge fairly, you just let him be in charge of evening the score. That's never going to be your job. Never, ever going to be your job. You don't see everything that you think you see. And I know as hard as it is for all of us to understand, we don't always have a full picture. The story you tell is just one side of a story, and I know that you don't want to see the other side. But listen to me, there's always a story that's not been told. And that's why you don't get to even the score. You don't get to judge. You've just got to leave that to God in every small instance and every large instance. You've got to just leave it to God. He sees clearly. He will judge fairly. And he is the judge. It's not you. It's just not you. Maybe in the course of giving it to God, you could actually do some praying. Why don't you pray that you can learn to see that person who's offended you? Why don't you 
pray and ask God to let you just see a little bit of their heart the way he sees their heart. Because you don't see. Well, you ask God to give you insight into the part of the story that, that you don't know. Because there's always a part of the story that you don't know. It's just a basic rule of life, and it goes like this. Hurt people, hurt people. You understand? Hurt people, hurt people. And that person who hurt you has also been hurt by somebody else. And honestly, here's your chance to break the chain. Here's your opportunity to stop that cycle. You don't have to hurt back. You really don't. And if you will be willing to just give this to God, give it always to God, and just let God be the one who exacts punishment if somebody needs to be punished. Let God be the one that shows grace. Just give it all to God. Do you understand? God judges everything fairly. One last thing. It's a little tip. This is practical. Next time somebody hurts your feelings, next time somebody abuses you, makes you very, very angry, next time you remember that person that you hate, do this for me, will you? Do this. I just want you to say some very, very simple words. Next time you feel that anger swelling up in you, you just say simple words. Say these words. I've been forgiven. I've been forgiven. Y'all think I messed up, don't you? You think that I messed up the sermon there because you think that what you should be saying is I forgive you. You think that that's what I would want you to say. If you're really, really angry, you should say I I forgive you. No, I I think here's the key. I think if you just simply repeat the words I've been forgiven because notice what Jesus does. Look back, verse 24. He personally carried our sins in his body on the cross so that we can be dead to sin and live for what is right. By his wounds you are healed. You've been forgiven. You've been forgiven for all of your sins because of what Christ has done for you. You've been forgiven. All of your wounds have been healed, including all of those wounds inflicted by other people. Do you understand? Christ took all of that upon himself, and he has healed all of your wounds, and he has forgiven all of your sins. So next time you're feeling so very angry and so very self-righteous, and you are so ready to get even and so ready to make yourself the judge, why don't you just stop, take a deep breath, and remind yourself that you have received so much grace, so much grace. Every sin you've ever committed, every word that you've ever said that was wrong, every thought by the blood of Jesus is just simply removed, forgiven. That's how Jesus deals with your offenses. He puts them away. If you have been the recipient of such grace, such forgiveness, such patience, then it just makes sense that in your life you would show grace and forgiveness and patience. You don't have to be a great artist. You don't have to know how to draw. All you got to do is sort of lay your life on top of Jesus' life. You'll be able to trace the image. In your life, you'll be able to follow in his steps. 
in your life, you'll begin to resemble him. You'll begin showing his kind of forgiveness and his kind of grace. And you'll find that you'll be able to suffer mistreatment with a supernatural kind of patience. It is a commandment to be followed. But more than that, honestly, it's a miracle to be experienced. It's the Christian way of being in the world. Pray with me. Lord, there are men and women in this room who are good and mad. And they've been good and mad for years. Everybody around them knows it. All of us, Lord, feel their wrath every time we say good morning. Lord, I pray that today you would break and soften the angry, angry hearts of Christians in this house who've been holding grudges for a long, long time. Lord, I pray that you would give all of us grace, strength, desire to live like Christ. Lord Jesus, you do not keep a record of our wrongs. You do not continue to bring our sins up. You remember them no more. As far as east is from the west, Lord, that's how far you have thrown our offenses away. So, Lord God, if you can forgive me, if you can forgive us, then, Lord, we can certainly forgive others. It's hard for us. It's not in us to do that, Lord. That's why we need you. If we could do it by ourselves, we wouldn't need a Savior. So, Lord Jesus, I pray that you would let grace fall down like rain in this house. I pray for husbands and wives, Lord, who are so angry, still planning revenge, Lord. I just pray that the desire for revenge would go away. That person who's carried a lifetime of bitterness and resentment against parents, against family members, against ex-spouses, Lord. I just pray that today they would give all of that to you, Lord. Just give it all to you. If there are wrongs to be punished, Lord, then you will be the judge. All of us, Lord, are guilty. All of us need forgiveness. And all of us, because of Jesus, are offered the gift of forgiveness. Help us, Lord Jesus, to receive that gift and to understand the price that purchased our salvation, the grace that gives us forgiveness and freedom. Help us, Lord, to understand what that gift is worth. And then help us, Lord Jesus, to share it with everyone around us and especially those who hurt us. Lord Jesus, speak to our hearts Open our hearts, shatter our hearts, that our hearts might beat and love and live only for you, Lord Jesus. We pray in your holy name. Amen.